Well, it's a dynamic duo, we'll be back again. Nothing back with DJ, you better pack it in. You're lacking sense. Trying to tangle with us, scoop up a big black booties in the back of the bus to smack you. You're stealing your lunch, money to search. Ready to feel like just a touch. Only by the end of the day, that's understandable. What can I say? You got strong man to be. Mind, mind, The funny thing is, is this Nick's run of success actually feels likable, right? Brunson and Josh Hart and, and I don't know, just it, I, I can't hate it as much. I really can't. It's like, okay, you, you're going to be the, the fifth seed in the, in the East and that's probably where you should be for your talent level, you know? It's a, You're a workman-like it's, team. It's an extremely working-class, lunch-pail kind of team. And, and, you know, Knicks fans, that's the kind of team they tell themselves that they want. In reality, they want the flashy all-star teams. This guy, you haven't been recording this fucking Yeah, no, podcast, I, haven't, have I have. I have, but not on a hijack, not on there. <laughs> it's okay. Well, that's fucking useless, isn't it? It's okay. It'll work. You absolute penis. <laughs> This is what I have to work with. On the Bulls podcast, I'm Doc. He's Bezo. This is probably going to make the show, unlike whatever we said before. Um, R.O.P. the Lakers. Turn off injuries. <laughs> that would that would be that would be the the most classic Bulls podcast if we were like, hey, we really like this workman workman like Knicks team. It's really cool. <laughs> we managed to not record it. That would be very on brand for us. I think that's probably the podcasting god saying this. Sh- this can't be committed to, to any memory. <laughs> this can't be. This can't be put on the internet. Even Australasia's most Knicks positive NBA adjacent podcast trademark is can't be heard to be saying that we like this. This Knicks team, this workman like lunch pail, you know, demolition squad playing in Tim's. This team, but that's who they are. Yeah. I mean, they're very, they're very, 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 very Tibbs. Extremely Tibbs. I and Josh Hart's been the difference. I mean, they've won. Six in a row, eight in a row. Every game they've played since they acquired Josh Hart for the Blazers, they've won. And Josh Hart has been shooting, which he wasn't allowed to do at the Blazers because there were many, 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 many more people who were lined up to shoot rather than play defense yeah. on that squad because it's coached by a fuckwit and general managed by a fuckwit and owned by a fuckwit. Still last in defense, the Blazers. Uh, they fired Terry Stotts for not being able to run a defense. They were never last in defense in the fucking league. Anyway, the Knicks. They need to... Like, like there's heaps more interesting storing lines than the Blazers, but they got to they got to put like a six eight shooting guard next to Dame, right? Enough of the six foot shooting guards next to a six foot point guard. Like, find your Clay Thompson's the model. Yeah, find yourself a Clay Thompson. Find that that guy because Dame doesn't work with another Dame. No, and surely like, but there's other there's other teams that um, Simons would be heaps. He's more valuable because you could put him next to uh, a Shea, right? Who's what six seven or something, and like just an absolute bulldog in defense. And maybe he would yeah. work there if you if or put you- him next to Ja Morant. Ja Morant can teach him how to beat up children and you know threaten security guards and be a complete fuckwit. Yeah, there's some there's some big Iverson vibes there, isn't there? It, 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 well, there is, but I mean, Iverson. It was Iverson's mates who were getting Iverson into trouble. Yeah. This is all Jar. Jar's Jar's is the lead on this. He's the one going around threatening security guards and punching teenagers and and you know being a complete fucking idiot. This was the the thing, not not necessarily 
the fact that the West sort of has two tiers within. If you if you look at it right now, right the the three most is this a polite way of you saying the West is bad because the West is bad. Oh, the West is bad, but like come finals time, there's probably I got him to say it on record, folks. Finally, <laughs> after seven years, uh, come finals time, there's three teams right that will probably come out of the West, and they're all on the same side of the bracket at the moment. And I was wondering whether we're going to see a little bit of selective tanking, but it's really hard to selectively tank because. If you do it... These teams aren't good enough to, to selectively tank. But if you do it badly enough, like, okay, so Phoenix are fourth and the Timberwolves are seventh and there's two and a half games between them. So, like, you probably want the sixth slot, right? Because the sixth slot puts you in the Memphis and Sacramento side of the draw and you'll probably have a pretty easy run through to the conference finals. You know, you're not going to get... Three games between third and fourth. I just wanted to look that up because I wasn't sure because, I mean, people keep saying, oh, Sacramento Sacramento will slip. And it's like, well, that's not going to... You know, Sacramento can't lose games to the Clippers if they don't lose games to the Clippers, yeah. and they didn't today. So, yeah. I mean, Sacramento might still get that third, even though Phoenix, well, since they got KD, since, since KD rocked up with that... 35 looks good on her son's jersey. Yeah. I mean, it looks better than it did when it was Dragon Bender. Um, but, no, he, he's looked he's looked really good, and he's just been plug and play. I mean, I think... Pablo Torre said he was like a universal travel adapter. You could plug him in literally anywhere yeah. and he'll make shit happen. Well, like, you know, someone like it, it takes all the pressure off Chris Paul, right? Chris Paul can just cruise around yep. and do Chris Paul things. Someone like a Kogi suddenly becomes weaponized because he's yeah. extremely open. And Yeah, uh, and Devin Booker's scored, what, 30s and 40s yeah. since uh, in both games because he's never faced – uh, a less defense than probably when he was like literally just coming into the league. Yeah, but like they're going to have to go on a like a, a Bucks type run to steal that third seed. Yeah. So Bucks have won like sixteen in a row, and I think we we said the week a week or two ago that the Tankathon had them with a pretty horrible um, schedule for the rest of the rest of the way through. Yeah, and then but he says not looking it up, but then. Like the Celtics just give up the one seed by losing to the fucking Suns B team. Oh, it's just, it's just the that's weird. Like Milwaukee obviously learnt its lesson from last year, where they punted that number one seed and were like, ah, oh, you know, we don't really need that game seven at home. And then it became very important in the, you know, without having Middleton and having to win that last game on the road. So. It feels like Milwaukee aren't going to take their foot off the gas, that they absolutely want that one seed um, just to give themselves that little extra chance come conference finals time. Uh, well, it's very clear that the, the, the margins in the East are extremely fine yeah. and the two best teams... I mean, John Hollinger ran that analysis. Well, analysis. He basically just said, who's, who's going to get 52 wins? Those three teams are the challengers. Yeah. And they wrote an extremely long piece, which was literally something that you and I could have farted out. Um, John Hollinger isn't a person I, I have a lot of respect for. And also, he's massive small market bias with his contender list. Uh, I'm including Boston as a small market because they're small-minded because they're racists, as we all know. Well, that, that they sort of are a small market in that they can't, well, Attract. they're a big market because they're on the eastern seaboard. But they don't get free agents. By the, on their own, they're actually a small market for yeah. uh, you know for the Boston TV, um, PV markets. You know the contracts aren't anywhere near as big as New York or Philadelphia. Yeah. And yeah, and Philly's like four games back of second. It doesn't feel like they're going to yeah they're going to catch um, 
Yeah. Couple of really crucial last minute, last second losses this yeah, week. That, that have, Heat one was wild. You know, massively changed the narrative. That was a wild game. That's that just insane. And then, like the next game, they just came out and wiped the floor with them. And and that's the sort of thing, right? The Heat will like lose badly and then win a game you don't expect them to win. But they can probably yeah. do that four times in a series, right? They probably lose by thirty and then come out yeah. and win a game where it never looked like they were going to win but do that four times and go on to the next series. Um, well, it's interesting that, that Boston, like celebrity Boston fans, like um, like your William Simmonses and your um, and Mike Scher, the, yeah. the TV writer who's often on Dan Levitard's show. Um, yeah, don't want any of their uh, heat. Yeah. Are, are terrified of, they're terrified of Miami. Miami are extremely bad. They are demonstrably are not a very good basketball team. They're barely over 500, but that team they're scared of. They're not scared of the Knicks, the Cavs. Atlanta, Toronto, the Wizards. The Philadelphia's, any of the teams yeah. above them. They're scared of that one. And that's purely because Boston sports fans have brain worms because that, that's a bad Miami team. They're not They're not better than the Knicks. They're behind the Knicks. They got beaten by the Knicks today. I mean, admittedly, it was off a absolute fucking circus shot from Julius Randle. But, you know, I've... You know, best of seven, the Knicks probably win that 4-1. They're a better fucking basketball team. Look, if it was if they played seven times in the regular season, I would agree with you. But I just I just think Spo- Yeah, actually, now that, yeah, as you say that, I'm actually rethinking that because the stuff that's important in, in – although the stuff that New York are doing is going to translate pretty well to the postseason. They might not have much more of a gear to go to, but they're not. It's not like they're a, they're surviving on ridiculous three point shooting. They're surviving on defense, grit, and mid range, and just gurning at people. Yeah. And and Tibbs barking ice, ice, ice. So I actually think they're gonna their games are not going to translate particularly badly to the postseason. It's just that I don't feel like they've got another gear. It doesn't matter though because we're, we're going to get the Donovan Mitchell Bowl in the first round, which is just like the NBA must be fucking Cleveland v New York about that. That's a, that's an awesome first round matchup. Well, it's actually good because it gets your Cleveland series that people that they don't have to put on NBA TV. Yeah. Because that's the problem is if you, if you had like Cleveland Atlanta or something like that in that in that that's immediately an NBA TV series yeah. they have to just park that away even no even though the the, the basketball nerds love you know the the, new, the the Cavs and the kids they've got on there and Donovan Mitchell and that sort of stuff and it probably also helps to um, what's the term they use in wrestling it helps to get the Cavs over is that the right word yeah you know when, when you know an emerging star. Wrestle, you know, wrestles against uh, an existing star, and they um, yeah, you put him with the, bi- basically the, bi- the big star, for- so people are watched and get used to what the new star is. Yeah, yeah. It, and it elevates them and gets them. I, th- I think it, 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 the is getting them over or something like that. It's some kind of term that. But unfortunately, a lot of NBA podcasters and sports podcasters are also fucking wrestling fans <laughs> because they're man children, <laughs> and a lot of these terms like kayfabe and 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 fucking fate, you know, heel turns and shit like that. End up in the fucking lexicon. You people are children. Go through puberty. But the East—that's the—that's the only series in the East that I can see being interesting in the first round. Like you would not expect Milwaukee, Boston, or Philly to lose in the first round to any of the Nets, Heat, Hawks, Raptors, Wizards. Like, it, like that's just not. No, not not with the Nets the way they are. Uh, to be to be. To be honest, though, that the Nets played a tremendous game of basketball today, where they went down, uh, they, were, they were behind by a month, I think, at one stage, and and they came back and beat the shit out of the Celtics. And it was just like, what, do you know, what even happened there? Do you know what's really like really sad? Like we we've talked about Simmons a bit and how we just want the dude to get better, but 
Remember when Embiid- Not Bill Simmons, Ben Simmons. <laughs> but remember when Embiid went- yeah. Unfortunately, Ben Simmons is on that chronic, yeah. that chronic being that chronic knee injury. And uh, there was some fucking blue tech pushing around a, a story sourced that Ben Simmons was going to be uh, binned for the year. Uh, and it turned out it was a blue tick who'd paid for the blue tick and he was just some wanker. Uh, and the team just said, no. Yeah. But, but <laughs> no, like, the- he's got a sore knee. We're not playing him because he's got a sore knee. Yeah. And why, like, he's like, he, he could be broke. He could have two broken legs and it's still his brain that's the problem. Um, but like, the, the Simmons, the run the break Simmons with this side and the, the switchability in the defense would be. Fucking awesome. Like, I really want him to, whatever he needs to do, like, go into the desert and, and have a mystical experience. Whatever he needs to do to get his shit together, I hope it happens for him so that he can Because this is a, like, the spotlight's off, right? There's no superstars there to attract the spotlight. And it's a real scrappy, grindy team. I can't see them trading any of those guys next offseason, right? Like, that's that seems like a sustainable team to build on. And Bridges looks like he might actually be a star, like a, a little bit in the in the Shea mould. Like give him, you know, g- y- you snag him, you give him the, the number one role and what's he going to grow into? Like he's certainly auditioned for that sort of um, next step quite well so far. Well, yeah, I mean, he was more considered sort of a complimentary piece on offence and, and, you know, as much known for his defence as anything else when he was in – uh, in Phoenix, and he just led, <laughs> he just led the Nets past the Celtics with a thirty-eight, ten, and four game. Yeah. And interesting, the, the next highest scorer was Cam Johnson. The other part of that fucking trade. Yeah. So, um, when it works, it works. Uh, interesting, Patty DNP, uh, Ben Simmons DNP. I see in that, which is a shame. So, sh- shall we talk about the racist storyline kicking around the NBA at the moment? Which I just find really weird because Perk doubled down on it. Well, I, I don't it, know if you saw this that he du- doubled down on the. Uh, look, I, I, I tune out, what, but, but I understand that because I was listening to Amin and Tom Haberstro talk on a Levitard podcast about the fact that Perkins had come. Karen, uh, not Karen, Karen Perkins had come out. That would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be a really weird flex. But anyway, it's got his name on his milk. Um, Kendrick Perkins, former big man for the various teams. Okay, see. Yes. I think the Cavs, Celtics. He was basically every, he he, had, he kind of recapitulated Shaq's end of end of career tour, where he just ended up sort of waddling from team to team, uh, picking up contracts and doing absolutely fuck all. And he's basically ESPN's Skip Bayless, Chuck in waiting. Basically, he wants to be Chuck, you know Chuck or Shaq or something like that. So he just spouts terrible opinions, and then ESPN are obliged to consider them. I don't think he's as engaging as either of those guys, and both of those guys. Well, the thing is that what all he's got got is a southern accent, and that's basically it. He's he's only you know. He's, Chuck is Chuck gets away with a lot because he has this kind of southern fucking yeah, you know, Alabama. I think he's from Georgia. It's got this Georgia drawl and, and says ridiculous, often fucking terrible 1970s stereotypes about his own people kind of shit. But Kendrick's doing the yeah. same stuff. But, but the difference between Chuck and Shaq and Perkins is that Chuck and Shaq were legitimate superstars that did real shit. Like I know, I, I know yeah. Buck. Kendrick Perkins was a useful player. You know, there was a theory that that he was kind of the Stephen Adams before Stephen Adams of that OKC oh, Thunder team. Yeah, okay. he was critical. I don't know whether he's as, he's as good as Adams, but no. Well, his presence correlated with team success in a way that 
I mean, that was basically why he kept ending up on all these other teams. Subsequently, was because he, you know, when he went out in injury, was when that fucking um, the wheels fell off that OKC team. So, so he he's posited this the- this theory that the only reason Jokic is going to win his third MVP is because he's white. And then he doubled down on that theory by saying the only three people that have won the MVP in the last 30 or 40 years that weren't top 10 in scoring were Dirk, Nash and Jokic. And what do they all have? Which is absolutely incorrect because Magic which is Johnson wrong did. for a start. <laughs> wrong for a start, which is hilarious. But but he, yeah. and then he but, but, but then, then he said a, no. But see, it's since nineteen ninety. You didn't let me fucking cordon off the stats, so it made me look good. Yeah. And uh, but what do they have in common? Which is like it's a it's, shit. It's stat. just a terrible it's a- take. It's just. But he's obviously. He obviously thinks that there's some players or ex-players out there who believe this. Like he's playing to somebody. I don't think some. I think I think many. Yeah. I think there are many, many people. I mean, you had old mate who was who accused him of stat padding. It wasn't just um, it wasn't just Kendrick Perkins who accused him of stat padding. Yeah, no, that was um, someone else as well. That, which is ironic because per- Kendrick Perkins was no stats or padding <laughs> in his career and subsequently. <laughs> But, you know, there's been plenty uh, – um, someone else, it might have been not another current basketball player with a podcast who's basically saying that, you know, these no, you didn't you didn't have this same energy for – you know, Russ got yeah. tortured for the same sort of thing. Or, but, 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 um, but, like, that's – But he didn't. He got the fucking – Russ got the fucking MVP. What do you want? And the thing is that, like, Russ, like, he, he was, like, the most obvious stat pattern that you could ever see, and the, the best version of that was – he enlisted when, his friends when, to help. When he got traded to Houston and Chris Paul came over and Chris Paul's like, no, man, I don't want those rebounds. Adam's rebounds went like immediately he went up to like six or seven rebounds a game from two. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah, those were all the, like he's he's physically shoving people out of the way so Russ can get the rebound. Oh. Having said that, the, the I suspect that wasn't a an idea from Russ and it wasn't an idea from Stephen Adams because the stats were that when a possession started with Russ with the ball immediately, it was generally more productive than Russ getting the ball halfway up court. So it was an opportunity to get the ball and immediately yeah. a little bit like the Give way – um, European football teams really prioritise the transition. There was something that came from Germany, from um, uh, the Red Bull systems and from Jurgen Klopp and stuff like that, the idea that the transition, that's the best opportunity to fucking try and pull a move. Yep. So if you are getting the ball from immediately from a rebound, it's almost like like a transition and you can, you know, yeah, if you've got like a point a, guard. It's like a turbocharge yeah. basically. Yeah, it's basically, basically you're kind of hitting them on the break because they're not quite ready ready for what you've got. But um, they make it. They have a huge priority about trying to win the ball back within three seconds, or within you know, uh, in a lot of these sort of um, gagan pressing kind of models uh, that Jurgen Klopp implemented. Having said that, the current Liverpool team are old and tired and can't do any of that sort of stuff anymore, and that's why they suck at the moment. But back to basketball. But the thing is, if you watch Jokic, like even people like you and me who are not <laughs> massive technical basketball <laughs> nerds, if you watch him play... Speak for yourself. <laughs> he's pretty obviously not stat padding right. 
Like the dude's about as unselfish a player as you could get. But he's all stats and all padding, yeah. um, and all and all scabbing as well. Uh, can we try to get? I think one of the, the biggest reason that people don't want to give him the MVP three times is that he won't stop bleeding, yes. and it's really unsightly. He just looks like a like somebody just went the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man with a whippersnapper. It's not nice. I was say, my he, biggest question about Jokic. He's really leaning into the the John Wick aesthetic, right? He looks like he's an extra from John Wick. I think he cuts himself. Look, and, and we know there are extras from John Wick in the NBA at the moment. Yeah, I think yeah. he cuts himself. I think he actually does it just to make himself look scary. But I want to know, how does Jokic run one of the best movement offenses ever seen in the league without ever doing any movement of his own? Because well, the, the- that's the most remarkable thing. He is like one of those, to use another football comparison, he's like one of those traditional Italian deep-lying playmakers like an Andrea Pirlo. The barely breaking a sweat, just walking it up, and then they just ping, 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 and you're fucked. Yeah. Because, you know, everyone stood off him. No one was able to stop them from pulling that pass that unlocked the space that, that made the goal. And it's exactly the same with Jokic. There was a game this year where... I was trying to think of the name of, of the you know, the position, the register. I think it was the, the Suns were playing Denver and some someone did a really hard dunk and bent the, bent the ring, right? And so they're trying to straighten the ring. Oh, yeah. And, and like... You know, they had to, and then they Denver went through a period of this, didn't they? Because because they had a couple of games where the, the rim got bent, and I thought, Jesus, I know they're a small market, but can we crowdfund Denver some decent rims? Because they they're like two games in a row. There was one game where they, they had to wait for like forty five yeah, minutes so, for the thing to be balanced. So they're, they're like all waiting around, and Jokic starts running suicides. Right, you know, like, like the old. If anyone's ever played basketball, you know what a suicide is. Like you know, go up, touch the line, run back, and you're watching him run these suicides is like the most. It's it's it was almost like one of the assistant coaches who'd been out of the league for ten years was going, Oh, come on boys, well you know, run with me and we'll run some suicides. Well, it just looks so unathletic. And I think that's what really offends the the classic streetball basketball fan in the US is the dude just does like just go and say it. It offends the black basketball fan and that should. Well because they've they've had a you know all their players have been these ridiculous yeah, athletes. You know, the best athletes, the acrobats, the gymnasts, the these muscle bound yeah. geniuses soaring through the air, somersaulting, power slamming, and you've got literally got a fat bloke who looks like he works in the IT department trudging along and then just doing bullshit. You know, dad on the fucking driveway stuff, and he's just threading the ball like he's fucking, you know, spider webbing it through. And it's but but the other you can't fault the results, even if you even if the method is aesthetically not what you'd expect. The other thing is too, I think that sort of hides a little bit of the killer instinct in him, though, because we well, I think we need to hide it because you know what part of the world he's from. The people <laughs> yeah, from that area have a killer instinct that we don't want to fuck with. Yeah, that's but he just looks so. Cuddly, cuddly. You know, with no face in a fucking ditch somewhere. Like there was, um, I watched this YouTube compilation this this uh, this week of like players that had pissed Jokic off and what he did to them the next time he played. Like there was one of Westbrook. What he oh was yeah, a- only one game. It only takes one game for for Jokic to come back and ruin your shit. Yeah, and uh, so this is what I like. So they play. Um, the only thing is it's pretty close to the end of the season and Denver might have that much of a lead that they just won't care about these games. But they play uh, Philly and Milwaukee back-to-back. Like, not back-to-back in days, but, like, two two games in a row. And I, he's the sort of guy that takes that beating that Embiid did in that last game and processes it and goes, right, I know exactly what I've got to do the next time I play this guy. And I'm going to come out yeah. and destroy you. And I would really – I hope it's tight enough. I hope – 
Memphis go on a little bit of a run to put a l- enough pressure on them that they've got to play those games straight up and, and not be sort of like, yeah. I will rest Murray or rest MPJ or, you know, Gordon's ribs need a bit of healing because I just, that's... that's- Gordon was out today and they and they dealt to fucking the Memphis even though they were behind early. Yeah, and he's a he's an underrated piece for them, right? Because he seems to be the glue that sort of fuses all that. Like he's a little bit of their Clay Thompson, not in terms of the the shooting, but in terms of he doesn't need to touch the ball fifty times. Like he he's quite happy to just get his when he gets his and do all the other stuff around it. Um, I read an article with him him the other day. He just seems absolutely fucking stoked to be in Denver. The dude seems so happy. He's just like, oh, this is just, you know, I just love cutting and dunking and, and doing all these things that around Jokic. Uh, uh, I thought you said he was absolutely fucking stoned to be in Denver. I thought, well, that's, <laughs> well, that's probably, probably because right, of the legal weed. Um, yeah, oh. so, so the, thing, the thing about Jokic is that nobody's reputation, just to put a, a full stop on that, on what you were talking about, nobody has survived to having a reputation of a Jokic stopper for more than one game. Uh, it's the second game, you are not a Jokic stopper anymore. Yeah, he, yeah. he, he figures the, you the out. The media no longer talks about you being yeah. a Jokic stopper. He will deal to you. And it's interesting, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens to him being the next time they play. So, uh, in that kind of way, I kind of hope we, that they do make it to the, um, they do make it to the, the finals and, and have to face each other. That, that would so, be, that would be just really so somebody cool. shuts Joel and beat up. Um, Just so somebody shuts him up, because Christ fucking Christ. It, Jesus fucking Christ, shut up, idiot. Is the reason that we've got European or non-American players dominating the NBA, do you reckon that it has something to do with the article that Baxter Holmes put out this this week where basically American players- Another white man. American players peak at 18 because they've got so many fucking miles on their body. Like, you know, they come into the league going, oh, yeah, the shit that I could do when I was 18 when when I hadn't had four knee reconstructions and my back was broken. And, like, that that story was fucking scary. For sure. And also that, um, that AAU circuit promotes a kind of play that's not actually useful in the modern NBA. Yeah. It's that kind of acrobat, super dunker kind of dude who's who's getting cooked by a – Fucking waterlogged loaf of bread in a Denver jersey, yeah. like uh, the Jokic does. He's bleeding for no reason, but we can't understand. So I, I, um, I was talking to a, a a guy at the gym this morning whose kids are like, I don't know whether they're like elite elite soccer players, but like they're in academy, they're in academy systems and whatever, right? You know, they play soccer. Run this back. So you you did your last athletic jumpy jumpy thing last night yes. and you went out on the piss and you still went to the gym this yes, morning. Yes, that's correct. Why? But Why? Because it, Why would you do that? Because it, I'm doing the windy hands. Why <laughs> would you do that? Because it's the best It's the best way to recover. You just go and sort of mess around and you don't do very much, but you just get, you get everything moving again. If you just- if you, you've never heard of like just having a coke and a kebab and a strategic cry well, and, <laughs> and just getting on with it, just like everyone else. But the, and the other problem is because I- train at half past four in the morning. My body clock is sort of set to that time. There is no half past four in the morning. <laughs> what the fuck is half past four? That, that's half, half past four is in the night. It's in the night. That's in the night. As Wolfmother said, that's like in the night. That's where that is. Um, There's no half past four in the morning. So anyway, b- back to the the soccer academy you, stuff. You never survive in Spain. <laughs> I would not. That's why I laughed. I was like, I would have to like- the only way I could do it is because it's like you need, you, you need to live in fucking Germany. Where, you know, I think that's your space. I'll I'll move to the fucking Costa Brava. No, no. The only way to work was because it's like the opposite time zone. I'd just get there and my body clock would already be on the same on the same pattern. I just have to adjust the mindset. Um, 
But he he was saying that like his kids are just tired. He said they're just so worn out all the time. But and I was just are they teenagers? No, they're like thirteen and fifteen. That that yeah, that's teenagers. Yeah, I guess uh, I'm not sure you can do maths, but that that's that's teenage. That's that's the age of my kids. Guess what? They're always tired all the time. Guess what? It's called being a fucking teenager. That's just what it is. They, they have body clocks as such that they can't. I literally did a survey for um, um, a university study that they're looking at, so talking about delaying the on the start of school. Mm. Like, don't start school at eight thirty. Start it at nine thirty because teenagers. We know teenagers can't get out of bed. Their body clocks are later. It's just a fucking thing. Yeah. And trying to say no, they just they should just go to bed earlier. They can't. So what are we fucking doing yeah. anyway? Well, that's and that ties into. The very interesting ESPN reporting about Wemby, which is like the dude is forcing himself to get 10, 11 hours of sleep a day because that's how fucking important it is to someone who's growing. Like, you know, if you're if you're going to train like that and put your body through that sort of thing, you can't really exist on five or six hours sleep and expect there not to be some sort of payback down the line, right? Yep. You know, and that's why you should never become a parent, <laughs> yeah, or an elite athlete, right? Like, unless you want to be an elite athlete at the point where you can, re- like, essentially take a whole professional. Like, imagine if you were that good an elite seventeen-year-old Australian basketballer that you could just rock up to the Brisbane Bullets and go, "Okay, I'm going to get Taylor Jenkins to come and coach this team," and we are. The whole team is just going to really revolve around me getting ready for the NBA. Like that's that's fucking insane. Like that would never happen in Australian sport, and probably wouldn't happen in a lot of European clubs either. But they've been fortunate enough to be able to run that experiment. And the funny thing is, is they're winning. They're winning the league. They're winning the French league, which I just well, find hilarious. Particularly, particularly because you were talking about getting the. the- dead drummer from the Foo Fighters in as the coach. I don't understand why you would do that. <laughs> Sorry. Taylor Jenkins was the guy we forgot from that photo. He was in that oh, uh, the, right. the famous photo of the 2013-14 Hawks coaching staff, which was Bud, Quinn Snyder, Darvin Ham, um, Taylor, Taylar Jenkins. Jenkins, Kenny Atkinson, one or two others as well in there. So uh, that was the All-Stars. And, and yet and yet I see that you you missed out on the, the Hawks gig too, uh, Quinn Snyder and his, <laughs> his 1985 habit. Sydney White Pages playbook. <laughs> but that, that was the thing that someone brought up is that Quinn Snyder is more of a control freak than even fucking um, Ricardo. He absolutely has to be in control, and he has a playbook, like as I say, like an '80s Sydney White Pages. And Trey Young don't roll like that, yep. so that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Well, and by interesting, I mean that he's definitely getting fired in a year and a half. Well, like he's very smart man then, because he's got a five-year contract, so you know that's three years of sitting on the beach, cash and uh, and GM player control as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you should, as you absolutely should. He just he rubs lip lip balm on his lips like the uh, the biggest speed addict I've ever seen in my life. That was an amazing. Yeah, that clip. was that's the that was the most. Uh, that's a famous gif. That one of 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 him just quickly rubbing lip balm on, he, on his lips. It is the most cocainey thing I've ever seen on an NBA court. <laughs> and that's saying something for the NBA, right? Because it's a. Well, so it's, it's not. It's a. Pre- it's not the eighties. It's a pretty famous cocaine league. 
Um, well, it, well, it was. I'm not sure it is now. Cocaine beer would have got a start at Power Forward in the uh, in the 80s. <laughs> so, shall we talk cricket, Doc? Like, you know, there was there, no- there wasn't any cricket on. Uh, that's a default response. I do want to talk about a few more things in basketball, if we could. Yeah, I want to talk about the fact that the Bucks are fucked, despite the fact that they're the top of the East. They are inexorably doomed, and they get. And this is the highest point of their of their their travels. They they might probably get they would get rele- they'll get relegated in three seasons if they're an English Premier League team. And the reason for that is that Jimmy Haslam's bought them. Jimmy Haslam's the owner of the um the Cleveland Browns. Oh, because Lazarus Lazarus sold, didn't he? Lazarus sold to to Jimmy Haslam and, and his wife, and Jimmy Haslam made his money in basically truck stops, fleets of truck stops, um, and his his time. Owning uh, the the Cleveland NFL team has been characterised by him being repeatedly done for tra- for tax fraud, for stupidity, incompetence, failure, uh, outsourcing a number one pick to a homeless man that he met in the street, uh, and giving the largest guaranteed quarterback contract in history to a serial sex pest. So I think this is all going to go horribly wrong for Milwaukee. Have we have we got the the new, that man's a fucking idiot? The new Robert Sarver in the NBA. Oh, he, he is so – go and Google Jimmy Haslam and Google Robert Sarver and you tell me that Robert Sarver is even 1% the fuckwit that Jimmy Haslam but, is. But is he – he's not the majority owner though, right? I fear that he, he – I'm not – none I, of that's been I thought made, I thought Lazary was the minority owner of the Bucks. I didn't think he had the main stake. Why would all your headlines be that Jimmy Haslam and, and, and his wife have bought the Bucks? Yeah. I have a horrible feeling that, that this is a um, this is this is not a minority share. Don't put him in charge of personnel decisions because he'll outsource it to the unhoused. Okay, so Lazary Lazary had twenty five, and this might not be as easy to, to to pull apart. I think there's a reason it wasn't reported on because I don't think it's transparent enough for, for it to be reported on. So Lazary had twenty five percent, and Wes Edens has twenty five percent. So that must be yep. like a. I think they're the two biggest partners, those two. Yeah, and they – oh, wasn't this the one where they, they take it in turns to be the, the governor? Because you can only have one owner be the governor, right? One owner sits on the – I think that's probably true. I think yeah. it's a little bit like the Vivek situation where he's the he's the majority owner, even though on a percentage basis it's a minority because there's like – he might be sort of 20% and everybody else is like a 5, 10, 1, 3, 6, whatever else. I think it, it is. there is a lot of that sort of stuff. I mean, didn't Sarver only own thirty percent of the team? A uh, little bit more, well, was but like it was. But then the rest, yeah, the rest are 33. like five percent. You know, there's a lot of five percent yeah. owners. It's it's a weird way. It is almost like that. Um, it's like a capitalist version of that Green Bay Packers model, where a whole lot of people own tiny shares. Yeah, but only one person gets to be the man, right? Like gets to wear the party hat. Yeah. Yeah, go, goes to the meetings and I guess you get courtside tickets and access to, you know, to the team that you wouldn't normally yeah. get, which you know, might That's what a lot of these people are doing it for, yeah. I mean, I, that's the reason they they Look, if, if that's absolutely the reason they're doing it. If I had disposable income, like huge amounts of disposable income, it would be really <laughs> disposable billions. It would be really cool to be a minority owner because you don't have to do any of the decision making. You don't actually have to do any of the work, but you get all the access. You get to, you know, just wander into the into the training facility and watch train. Like it, that, that would be like for someone like me that likes the inner workings of a team. Admittedly, if you're a minority minority owner of the Suns and you had any sort of morals, seeing the inner workings of the team under Sava might have been quite distressing. I would imagine. 
Uh, yeah, but if you had the, if you had any kind of morals, you wouldn't have made enough money to be able yeah, to be a minority sons. Because these are American capitalists, my friend. They, they do not have morals. They just they burn people for money. Mm. Are we going to see a a, pet, a petro oil owner in the NBA in the next couple of years? You reckon? See, I'm not sure about this. I think I think the Sauds and the and the Qataris and the Abu Dhabians want to, but I think there's certain rules around residency that that you know. I think yeah. Joe Sai is kind of a test case, he's and, and, and Prokhorov. Yeah. yeah, you've still got to be you know on the ground in the US. You've essentially got to be there all the time, and I don't think any of them are doing that because they're in the fucking government in these terrible fucking <laughs> sandlot nations that they're in. I mean, I think the the Newcastle thing has blown up because the, where they, you know, they claim that we have nothing to do with the, with the the Saudi government and all this sort of stuff, and it turns out that one of the guys on the governance board of of Newcastle United is also part of the Live Golf Tour thing, and the court documents on that side say that because they are part of the Saudi government, they have diplomatic immunity, and you can't look at our documents. And it's like, well, this is the same dude. How does this quite work? So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the the, the Newcastle United ownership situation because that was always said. If it was shown that these guys were actually in the Saudi government, then we'd have to look at this again. Look what we have to do now. So I mean, uh, that will be the issue. And also, there are plenty of fuckwit billionaires. And, and this is the thing. The, the Qataris are trying to buy Man United right now. But they are also competing against um, Jim Radcliffe, the Ineos guy, who's got as much money as they do, and a, a couple of other um, consortia. So it's it's not like there aren't enough rich dickheads to, to waste money on on stupid trinkets. Yeah. All right. Any other basketball takes you had? We, we haven't laughed. Oh, at- we haven't laughed at Russ. We we should really laugh at Russ because it, it's deserved, right? We should laugh at Russ. But we, here's the thing: the, the the Clippers have lost their four, last four games. Five. Uh, and I believe Five, they've I had something like seventy-seven turnovers in their last four games. They've lost every game they've played since they got Russ. It's not because of Russ explicitly, but. You wonder what I think. I think Russ being there is kind of an avatar for why they're losing. It's not because they're playing Russ. It's because the team, and by the team I mean the playing squad, have such a fucked attitude about basketball that they thought this was a good idea and they're being empowered to it. So Ty Lue is having to berate and plead and cajole these guys into wanting to play hard on the rare occasions that they're all on the court. It's kind of like, well, this this is the problem. If if why do we need to? I mean, El Hassan made this point about the the All Star Game and the dunk contest, but it's true of this team. Why do I have to beg you to play basketball? Isn't this the thing that you've always wanted to do your whole fucking life? What are we doing here? Yeah. Um. I did wonder whether Tyloo was was deliberately because they've been starting Russ first and third quarters. I was wondering whether Tyloo. Oh, you reckon it's a bit of a bit of self sabotage, get himself fired and get into a job where he actually well, enjoys? It, no, no, no. I don't think he's doing that. I think he's trying to prove to PG that this isn't going to work, so he gets PG's buy in when they bench Russ when the games are actually important, and he sort of becomes you know because Rajon Rondo was was in pretty much the same position mm. a couple of years ago. And they kind of played him intensively for a bit, proved that he couldn't do it, and then just fucking set him aside for the the actual serious games. I suspect he's just doing what he's fucking told. The footage, though, of of him at the top of the key, like almost in a training simulation (laughs) where no one is near him and he's just like bouncing the ball and like looking around. and and, Yeah, and And, and Draymond is literally standing back in the key, giving him three metres of space. I'm not coming up to you, dude. Like... 
shoot it. And, yeah. and like shoot. Joel Embiid bangs on about being disrespected. I've never seen anything more disrespe- disrespectful to a former MVP than the defense that the Dubs played on Russ. The, it was the, the, humiliating. The, the funny thing is, is like. Being able to rip. See, Dame Lillard would have just hit the fucking three yeah. and strutted back down the court, but Russ doesn't. He's been told, "Do not shoot the fucking ball." Well, I, I think he's lost the skill, right? And this is the thing. Like, I reckon he would probably hit that shot fifty percent in practice, but there's a massive difference about having to do it under pressure, and like even that wide open, the, the, it's just that implied pressure that just can make your brain not replicate the skill and that's what makes Lillard and Curry amazing is that it doesn't matter what the pressure is they can still replicate that skill under pressure and that's what makes those players great um and for whatever reason he can't like he cannot replicate that skill under any pressure at all uh it's yeah it's 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 really fascinating though because can you be a starting NBA point guard if you can't take an open three-pointer with that much time and space, like where you can set your feet, you know, put your hands in exactly, like literally a training drill and you can't hit that shot at a reasonable enough rate that people are going to give you that much space and time. That's problematic. He's going to the Ben Simmons vortex, isn't he? Yeah. If he's not willing to shoot, then he's as much use as Ben Simmons is. Pretty much. I mean, Ben Simmons is a better defender. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. Anyway, they wanted him. Like that's that's the other thing, right? Is it wasn't it wasn't the Clippers front office that were like, oh, let's get Russ in. We no. think he's got something left. It was the players on the court, and you know, straight after that, he blew a rotation, and you can see Paul George like getting stuck into him. Like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? You know, you can't just let that guy slip. But that's who Russ is, right? Russ Russ plays really hard in quarter of the parts of the game that matter. Yeah, I think he used to he used to be more, yeah. but it's not anymore because he does, doesn't have that juice. And I think part of this is about Paul George realizing, oh, yeah, oh my guy doesn't have what he doesn't even have what he had at in OKC when it didn't matter as much because they weren't owned by a you know a billionaire and they didn't absolutely have to win or the whole thing fell apart. Mm. Although ironically, that's exactly what happened. They didn't win because Dame Lillard sent them home and they all fell apart. Yep. Uh, the other thing, other thing to mention is that Kyrie and Luca finally seem to have got it together for one game, yeah. and everybody is carrying on as though this will happen forever. I don't think it will. I think the uh, the funny thing about it was was they they'd won like what, they'd been like one and four in games they'd played together, and uh, Jason Kidd was dragging him in press conferences in a very passive aggressive way, going on about how we need to be more mature, which is great from a person who deliberately spilled a coke on the floor to get a timeout. Uh, this is the, the same press conference where he said, "Look, I, I'm just I'm just you I'm, know, just, I'm just watching spectator. like you guys. I'm just a spectator." And I'm like, well, are you paying for your fucking seat, bro? Because those look like expensive seats. Uh, if, if if I was a uh, a head coach, I would be brushing my resume up and sending it into Mark Cuban right now because I reckon he's cooked. He he has a short shelf life, that dude. Uh, I don't know. I think the problem. I, th- I think it'll be taken out of his hands because I don't think Kyrie's going to hang around. Yeah, it it seems mad, but that that's that you know it's hard to predict anything that Kyrie will do. But um, oh, he, he's a, I he's don't. A- I think Jay Kidd has got some good stuff out of out of Luca this year. And I think some of the stuff where you where you you know if you challenge Luca, he will he will take it because he's been he's had a lot angry hairy European men shouting at him since he was a teenager. Yeah. So I think he's you know this is nothing compared to the stuff he would have gone through in the Real Madrid um, 
academy and stuff like that. So he, he, he can, this doesn't bother him at all. You know, he's, you know, I think he, he was challenged on it in the press conference. You know, Jake Kidd said, you need, you need more mature. And he said, yeah, that's probably true. Because the, the, um, it was Ben McMahon who asked him and he said, yeah, I knew it would be you who asked yeah. me this, but yeah, he's probably true. The, the funny thing is, and someone wrote a really good article, article about this, is that Luca was too good too quick. Like, like OKC, you know, Shea was good pretty much from when he got there, but they've had two, this will be the third year, I think, that they've been in the lottery. So, you know, they can get the Giddies and the Williams and the other guys to put around Shea that are going to be good as he grows up. Luca was good straight away and they have, unless you can nail those mid-draft picks, well, and, and then they sort of didn't nail the draft picks and then traded those draft picks away for pause. You know, then they sort of fucked the chances that they had. But if they knew they were getting high draft picks, they probably wouldn't have traded Porzingis. But because Luca was good pretty much straight away, those draft picks then become sort of late lottery picks. So you're more empowered to trade them for a Porzingis or, you know, and then trade Porzingis for Dinwiddie and then trade Dinwiddie for, you know, like it sort of puts you down a rabbit hole where you're always chasing. Um you're talking about a team that is the number three offense in the league yeah. and went to the Western Conference Finals last year. I think I'd rather be them than OKC, who have traded on potential for you know since Russ and KD left, yeah. and that's lovely. But don't get don't get sucked into potential is only potential. Okay, so we, shall we have a side bet? Who, who's going to finish higher in the standings next year, OKC or, or Dallas? I mean, I, do you I'm, want to take I'm not, Dallas? I'm not taking that. I don't like Dallas, and I'm not taking Dallas. So I don't know who's going to be on Dallas. Well, they'll have Luca, right? Luca and somebody, because even if Kyrie walks, they'll still have that free agent money. So they'll be able to get somebody. Just what I've learned from this year is that not to bet on teams you fucking hate. <laughs> and <laughs> there is no joy in it. So I'm not. I'm not taking any bet on, on the Mavericks on Mark Cuban's sleazy ass and on Kyrie Irving's. Insane fucking head. Yeah, I, um, I, but Luca is better than Shay and will be for the entire career. Yeah, that's 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 and, and, that's inarguable. Like, <laughs> okay, so you haven't proven they can, and they can be a development team forever. They now have to prove they can be a contending team, and they did that once extremely briefly, and then fucked it. So um, oh, I still, I still think they're the next only, and only through being a development team to start with. They just developed enough to get. They have never had to get a good team by building it with free agents and signings. They've only ever you know, no, I, gotten I, good through teams that they've drafted. And then we're not going to count the Chris Paul team because they didn't go anywhere. They, they you know, it felt good, but it wasn't, didn't actually amount to anything. I think they're going to be the next Memphis. There you go. That's, that's I think. So which one is the one who's going to go around bashing up yeah. mall cops and, and picking on teenagers? I feel like, I feel like Memphis is, you know, the vibes are not immaculate with Memphis, are they? It does not feel good. No. And they are not playing well. I mean, they they Dylan Brooks is talking shit in in interviews about Draymond Green. I'm like, what have you won, son? Shut up. Well, just shut up. I actually think that uh, they're the you can take the wrestling character a bit too far. They're the team that will make a consolidation trade over the summer. You know, like they might have a crack at a Towns or he's not a fit. He's not a fit. He's for not a fit. Room, but do, do you know what I mean? Like. Let, let's D- – Dylan Brooks and – Yeah, I think you're right that they'll try. I don't think that will work, though, because mm. that kind of energy was the same energy that Jimmy Butler brought to them. 
and they did not react well. To, some of them reacted well to that, but a lot of them did not react real re- react well to that kind of energy. So I don't, th- I don't think. Yeah, Carl kind of reminds me a little bit of Ben Simmons in that kind of respect. Not, not that he's, you know, Carl's been through a lot. Yeah, but he he is a little bit more sensitive. I won't say soft because soft isn't fair. It's a it's a freaking a very Gen X uh, thing to impose on someone. But um, he does not have a huge amount of um, basketball resilience. He certainly has great personal resilience. Sometimes it may be good. Sometimes it may be shit. Hey, I didn't realise. How the cricket was on? I, I did. Yeah, I didn't realize cricket was on until very, very late <laughs> on Tuesday, on Monday afternoon. Uh, no, I was going to say how dominant India are at home. Like, gee, I wonder why. Uh, no, like I, I knew they were a very good team at home. Like, like, like Australia, good. You know, like you just don't beat India at home. But I didn't realize that like they've lost three tests in a decade or something at home. Like far out. That is. Uh, wow, that's that's really fucking. It's really really hard to win there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. And the reason is when it's turning square and more to the point, not bouncing on day one. It's it's turning and dying uh, on day one. You know, ooh, ooh, it could be a long test, but not a five day test. Which I don't actually mind. Like people are going, oh, I don't like this fucking pitch. I don't like it when the fast bowlers don't open the bike. It's like. Why? Well, no. It also was the idea that it was that it was like some sort of crime to develop. It was like I'm I'm pretty sure both teams are playing on this deck. Yeah, that's right. Both teams are going to play. It was, this- it was more that the the bats the batsmen couldn't fucking dominate. That's really a, a very Australian attitude. Is that unless unless you know you score five hundred batting first, it, the the pitch is shit. And it's like yeah, yeah, but like no, bro, that's not quite how this works. But then you get Pajara's innings and Uzi's innings, and it's like well, that's that's probably more valuable than. Matt Hayden scoring 280 against Zimbabwe on a flat track in Perth, right? Like those 60 380, wasn't it? 380, sorry. That like those are that that batting was just compelling and it it was amazing to watch like even Hanscom bat on that uh on that second morning where he was just like I'm just going to take the sting out of this. I'm just going to and like you could sort of sense the frustration building, and then as soon as he went, it was like bang, flipped. That, yeah. like, and that was what made it really enjoyable watching. Was you didn't want to not go away because you just like, well, as soon as there's a wicket, this whole game could could flip again, and then yeah. flip again, and then flip again. Absolutely. Well, the thing is, I mean, uh, Rudy Edsall, who's a uh, a known Twitter person, uh, I won't say friend of the show because I don't think he listens. Um, was sort of despairing of the fact that, um, that you know Australia had been at one for one hundred and eight, and we're all out for one hundred and eighty one. I was like, India were ten for one hundred and nine. Yeah, this is it's okay. This is you, all you've got to do is survive the next ball basically on this deck. And then you had the test in in um, in Wellington, which you know New Zealand were forced to follow on. And won by a run in the, in the the gloaming at the end of the day. Yeah. And um, to his credit, Ben Stokes came off the field there uh, with a rectus grin and said, "That's the best pitch I've ever pl- I've played on in years and years and years." Uh, and you have to say, well, given that both teams, you know, they got within a, within a run of each other and in five days, it's probably about right. Uh, I reckon the follow on's dead though, and I can't understand uh, why Basball would have taken the follow on anyway because it would have made. No- I mean, I'm glad they took it because it made it a game. 
um, that result probably wasn't possible if, if they hadn't uh, taken the follow on. But why would anybody take the follow on these days? But even even the last innings in India, like, like Usman went what second ball? I think the first ball like turned sideways, and then he got the barest inside edge, and it was just like holy fuck, they're going to go through us. They are going to go through us for 70, right? And then Head and Labuschagne just like defended, 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 and then suddenly Head just felt comfortable. And it was a, it was just amazing to watch. Like he just went from, okay, now I sort of, I've got a feel for it. And it was like 4-4, four, four, I think he went 4-4-6 four, four, in his yeah. next three scoring shots. When he got a couple of fuller ones and he started swatting them through mid-wicket, I thought, oh, hang on, this is a momentum change. Because he went 4-2-6 and then every every over he was hitting like one or two fours and it was like, oh, it quickly got away from them. But- uh, got away from India. I thought, well, it's no, there's, there's no, there's no worry about it. it. Suddenly went from being a challenge to, gee, I hope they knock this off before dinner so I can, I can uh, sort it, sort out the meal for everybody. And then there was the interesting little side plot, which was cricket media in Australia is definitely two tiered. To, in fact, that there's intelligent, smart people. Shit that, and worse. Well, no, no, there's that there is, you know, for, for all that I don't really like Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon's sort of. Uh, flourishes, I guess. Like, I, I the, like Jeff. The, I've discovered I, I I can't stand Adam Collins, and it's probably nothing against him personally, but he he just exudes former Labor staffer slash Victorian punishing. <laughs> He's just Victorian, Victorian. and think- those are two. Even though I've you know I've voted Labor more often than I haven't. It's something about Labor staffers that are just insufferable because they've clearly dedicated themselves to eating the shit sandwich about the fact that this party doesn't actually do the things that they're supposed to do. They're slightly better than the blue one, but they don't actually do what they pretend to do, which, you know, they're not actually as fucking left-wing as they should be. And also, Victorians are insufferable. So they, they were sort of talking about how, like, head should basically open in Asia, you know, but when you go to England, uh, he should bat at five or six. And Yeah. But then there's, like, the old-school Australian media, which was, should head replace Warner? And it's like, well, no, someone else, if you want a different opener... In England for the Ashes, it should be an opener for England and the Ashes, and Head should play at six yeah. or five. Like this, I don't know. It's it's no, I, I know exactly what you mean. It's the, the idea that the, the most traditional form of cricket is the one that it's the most resistant to. This is the sort of thing that Basball would. This is the sort of thing Bear, uh, McCullum would do. Is that he would have specific openers for specific conditions, and it would make absolute sense yeah. for Head to be your opener in. In India and BS6 in, in England, but it, it works as long as you win. No one's crying for the fucking return of Justin Langer if you're winning. Yeah. No one's crying for the return of Justin Langer today. They were last week. Yeah. And like the other thing is, um, like going for that win and going for the win in the next game is actually really important. If they beat India in the next game, they might not have to play India in the, in the Test Championship. And India are yeah, easy, they get Sri Lanka. easily the most talented team, like even more so than Australia, I would say. Like India are the, the most talented team in world cricket at the moment, you know. And keep in mind, it's, it's generally played in England because I suppose England are the most neutral venue, also because England have paid the most money. I would be more scared of India in England because they play in England English conditions more than Sri Lanka do. Yeah. Like I don't think England would have lost any confidence from that loss at all. Like they barely lost and – and New Zealand had a couple of batters have a really good day. I don't think it'll change their attitude. I don't think it'll change the way. Like, other than they probably won't enforce no. the follow-on. 
Um, well, well, I also wonder whether uh, Sri Lanka might need to beat up because they're about to have a, a, a series against New Zealand. I wonder whether Sri Lanka in New Zealand might be out of contention fairly. Yeah, in New Zealand, they might be out of contention fairly shortly. Because, yeah. but the thing about the, this New Zealand side is that they are a bit like a legacy band that's carried on a few albums too long, and they're no longer quite capable of of producing their maximum effort all the time. They're not. They release an album and like an album like a five day test. The performances will be mediocre for. Maybe three fifths of the of the of the duration, but they're still capable of dragging some things out that are still peak. Like Neil Wagner's bowling performance on the final day, he'd been fucking horrible for the preceding two tests. Uh, Jared Kimber wrote a really nice piece about the way Wagner had invented himself and reinvented himself like four or five times across his career. Uh, but during this test, he was the one who Harry Brook was teeing off on. Yep. But it was on that final day that his kind of angry little man, medium fast bouncer action, because he used to be. Terrifyingly quick, and now he's just kind of annoyingly rapid, if you like. Uh, that shit worked on the final day in a way that it, it did not work at any stage of the preceding two tests. These guys could pull out just enough of a performance to get them across the line, but th- but you know that's not going to be sustainable. They're, they're, you know, basically, it's the team that that made the World Cup final in 2015 and the team that won the World Test Championship in uh, 2020. And we don't talk about the World Cup final of 2019, obviously. Uh, that team is just old and not being replaced, and that's the issue they've got. So then there was the Women's T20 World Cup, which was fascinating in that we're, now we're starting to see some of the pressure of having a big crowd. Like, I, it really felt like England lost that game because the South African crowd was baying for blood. You, you know, they it was pretty obvious that they had more talent and more depth and more everything else, but just froze a little bit in the spotlight. Um and then, which is odd because English English women's cricket is probably better supported than most, maybe apart from Australia. Um, they, they get they get people to turn up. Yeah, I guess so. But I think that those crowd like that crowd at Newlands for the final evidently was pretty pretty big. Um, but then the other thing is Australia didn't play very well. Didn't in, fucking help them though. Did Australia it? didn't play very well in the semi or the final. But all the stuff that they put into place over the last. Since they lost to India six years ago, like like some of the stuff I read about that and Lanning and and the the lessons that they took away from that, and not sort of coasting on their talent alone, and realizing that you know you're going to have days where the talent just doesn't come off, and then you've got to do the all the other things really well, like all the little grindy things, and like I I talk to my players all the time about. You know, because Australia is in touch football, like the Australian women's cricket team, and it's like, well, you know, they're going to have more talent than you. They're going to have more guns than you. So we've got to have better tactics and we've got to be – like, we've got to win the things that we can win, right? Because we don't have a player pool of sort of 60 first-class players to pick from, like Australia. Like, they left Alana King. Alana King didn't even – she's the best BBL player, bowler, in the tournament and didn't make their semi-final or final side because of the way the pitches were. It, like, that's nuts, right? You know, uh, so you've really got to nail all the other stuff, but Australia was still seems to be better at all the little things as well as the sort of blunt instrument talent things as well. Um, and Kimber's podcast with um, one of the women journalists that was actually there was like, what I really hope... Raph Nicholson, was uh, it? Raph Nicholson it was too. Um, 
what was fascinating in that she was like, I hope other boards take away, like, we need to do things like Australia off the field to try and give our teams the best chance because otherwise we're handicapping them. Like, that's what they should be taking away. Um, yeah. Very, very interesting, that final. Because Australia, it wasn't like watching the one in New Zealand, that the 50-over World Cup in New Zealand, where Australia just looked dominant. Australia just looked like they that they were playing a different sport to everybody else in the tournament. And this time they didn't. They sort of looked like, you know, India really looked like they troubled them in that semifinal. Uh, but, you know, they just managed to get through. So Yeah, they lost. Yep. Fuck them. Take all your money and piss off. Uh, and I suspect with the, the WPL, all of this will be blown completely and distorted completely by the by the next T20 World Cup cycle, and uh, no one will see India again because they'll win everything. Every, they'll become the new Australia. So uh, I hope you enjoyed women's cricket while it lasted because it will not last any longer. Maybe. NRL preseason coverage. Uh, the NRL preseason is over. That is the end of our NRL preseason coverage for another year. I saw the Bonkos one, so that's good. The the, the Dubs one, the 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 Wazers, <laughs> the Let's Gones, got a fantastic dub. Um, and Parramatta and lost, and, happened, so and even good. though I have very little interest in rugby league, Parramatta losing still gives me a, a slight bit of joy. Parramatta's, Parramatta losing is funny, and in the same way that Collingwood losing is funny. funny that's true. Uh, and will always will be. It always will be. All right. I can't, I can't think of a better way to end the podcast than that. <laughs> Let's All go. Right, that's enough of this shit. If we, I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say, I stopped recording 15 minutes ago. <laughs> um, oh, the, other thing, the other thing was that, Super Rugby we did a like a bootleg magic weekend in Melbourne this week. Did anybody know they were doing I, this? Did I they tell anyone? I had no idea Super Rugby was still a thing. Well, this was like I think it was week How, how many This is week 2 of them? But they were play, they played every game in okay, Melbourne. How many how many teams do Australia have now? I think they've got I think they've got all the, all the teams they all, I, th- I think it's is, is Perth back. Five Australian, five New Zealand teams and two uh Pacific teams because now they call it Super Rugby Pacific, and it's it's, it's like a Fijian team and a, a sort of a mixed Pacific Islands team, probably you know Samoa and et cetera, et cetera. But it's um, yeah, I don't give a shit. I don't, don't imagine anybody does. I mostly don't give a shit because Canterbury won by a lot against uh, the Highlanders. But it was in Melbourne, and the Warriors were winning against um, Newcastle at the same time. I, I liked our ending much better when we were talking about Parramatta losing. See you, Doc. I'll just talk to myself then. How will we know the difference? All right, let's come back and talk some tunes. Come on, too bad they blew it. The eels see a chance and latch on to it. Just emotion comes sliding in, and all the crowd begins to sing. I feel like a silly. I'll edit something of an exit out of that. There's, there's like multiple points where you can just put, put a cut line right. There's multiple points at which we should have pulled the handbrake. Yeah. I'm going to get a whiskey.